You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. It's time for Geeks Pub. I'm Tim Robertson. I'm David Cohen. Uh, we're going to take a break from the, a lot of the seriousness and, you know, the, the silliness of uh, elections and all that kind of thing. And we're going to go back in time for this episode. We're going to talk about uh, the year 2000 and specifically movies. It's hard to believe that was 20 years ago, almost 21 years ago. Um, it's hard to believe for us because we're old. We are. We're yeah. old. And most, most, a lot of people, you'll, you'll go through some of these movies and they'll go, what? Never heard of that. So. I don't know. I think most of the people that are listening to two fifty-year-olds geek out about stuff probably has heard about yeah. every single one of these. That's movies. right. But um, and I've seen all of them except one on this list. But that. But here's the thing. So this is this is the problem with with getting older, is that to us most of the movies on the on this list are classics and should be seen by everybody. And yet there are now, as you get older, every year there is a bigger percentage of people who not only haven't seen them but also haven't heard of them and don't really care. Yeah. And, that's um, true. and that's, that's what makes you feel old. And, and you yeah. don't, it's not until you get old that you realize that you realize that that's what it is, that basically your frame of reference is so far in the past that there's a whole generation behind you who, who just, just didn't live it, not aren't interested in going back and living it, you know? So, uh, the, I imagine there were some movies on this list that if you and I sat down with, our kids, or even you know, older older people like college age kids, and try to convince them to see some of these movies, they would go, "Oh, maybe, maybe not." If it's on TV, sure, but you know, they won't go. Yeah, out. most of them's not going to get. There's some that I, they've all watched, and then there's some that they've probably never heard of, like you said. But let's and, and let's, yeah, and the, yeah, and the, and, the, and what would be interesting is talk about some of the cultural references that have come out of some of these movies, where even where oh, people yeah. haven't seen the movies, they they know the cultural references. And there's well, one in, uh, one in particular on here that I'm uh, I've spotted straight away. Well, I I kind of about a year ago or so forced Brooke to watch The Breakfast Club uh, because she was she made a reference to it and she had no idea that that was where it came from so i made her watch it and she goes oh my god i didn't realize that's where such 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 yeah. such such started everything references that movie that's amazing and she yeah. loved it she thought it was a great movie so and it's not by the way it's not a great movie it was when you're a teenager but when you're 50 years old and you watch breakfast club <laughs> you're like oh jesus christ you have to yeah you you have to be able to relate to it and you have to be at yes. a certain age to relate to it and feeling yeah. a certain way we yeah. watch it now and it's nostalgia <laughs> yeah you know? exactly that's the way it was this is great but- uh, we we watch it and think uh, and think to ourselves crikey how often do i behave like the principal in that movie <laughs> Well, you know. yeah, to a to a degree, obviously. It's are you? Are you? Are, did, yeah, but did you actually raid Barry Manilow, Manilow's wardrobe? Uh, I did not. No, no, me neither. Even to this day, <laughs> I I saw a funny. Uh, I don't know. Someone told me, or I heard it, or probably a Facebook post. Uh, the the whatever your style is, whatever you're into wearing, when you get married. Providing you stay married to that same person, of course. Yeah. Is your style the rest of your life? So I am forever jeans and t-shirt guy. Mm-hmm. I just am. That's yeah, what I was that's what I was wearing when Julie and I first got together. And I can see that. <coughs> I mean, don't I can get, understand you where that comes from stuff, but yeah. That's that's why sometimes you see kind of 
these sad old guys in their late forties and they're still wearing the, the like the the long the long uh, skating yeah t- you're like, stop shorts. It. Stop it. <laughs> yeah, and a rock and a metal band t shirt and a and yeah. a cap backwards and you just yes. think, Guy, do you know what you look like? Usually it's a band they've never seen, by the way, in person. <laughs> Um, so let's jump in. We're going to take these in alphabetical order, uh, not order of either importance to us personally or how much we enjoy the movie or, and I don't really care how much these movies made. I, I, who cares? It's not a foot race. Um, but we're going to take them in alphabetical order. And obviously I didn't grab every movie made in 2000. I just grabbed the ones that I thought, ah, you know what? I think these are probably the best. And David put in a couple, um, three, uh, four, honorable mentions we're going to start at the top and that is almost famous um directed and written by cameron crow uh with a quite honestly a a cast of of actors and actresses who didn't really do a whole lot afterwards none of them really became a household name big actor but i loved almost famous i watched it again for maybe the fourth or fifth time about a year ago and I really enjoy that movie. It's just really, it's kind of a, a love letter to bands of the seventies. Yeah. And it, it's well acted. Um, you, you gotta kind of fall in love with Kate Hudson in the movie, even though, yeah. you know, if that's your kid, ugh. I mean, as a dad, our job is to keep our daughters off the stripper pole. That's our job. Yeah. Her, her dad failed because that's pretty much what she is. She's a, Hang her on. They try to give her some kind of a, a mystique and a, 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 a an older worldness to her, but but she's uh, just a glorified groupie. Yes, yes. That will that has probably done everything with every band in existence, and she's kind of proud of it. Um, but of course, the the whole concept behind it is Cameron Crowe's own story. Yeah. Yeah, it's semi-autobiographical, yeah, and um, yeah, and uh, you know, yeah, it's. I mean, it it was one of those touchstone movies. It really excited everybody in two thousand. It won. It was nominated for a whole load of awards. I do find it amusing you <laughs> you say, "Oh, nobody, nobody in this movie ever wanted to do anything." Like Frances McDormand won two Academy Awards, but you know, yeah, she, but she's not. She's a, a bit of a actor. failure. She, well, but she's not one of the main characters. Then, well, yeah, point. I know what you mean, but she's it's, in it. It's the mom, and she's in it for, she's got, what, seven minutes of screen time? Well, yeah, I mean, it doesn't matter, but she made those seven minutes count. Yeah. <laughs> I, and I like um, Jason Lee, one of yeah. the, uh, I, again, my name is Earl, so of course I'm going to like him because yeah. my middle name is Earl. Um, Philip Seymour Hoffman's in it. He was great in the movie, but yeah. I'm talking about the main Academy characters. Awards. Multiple Academy Awards as yeah. well. But, yeah. You know, but, but yeah. But the main characters in the movie. Kate Hudson, I mean, she played, uh, what, Penny Lane? I think that was her name. Uh, the, she's Goldie Hawn and Kurt Russell's daughter. Well, yeah. I don't know if she's Kurt Russell's daughter, but I know it's, she's she is uh, Goldie Hawn's daughter. Yeah. You can but, you can tell this and you see. You, can, you really yeah. can. Yeah. Who, by the way, is I, I always liked Goldie Hunt. I thought she was hilarious. Yeah, uh, she's coming out in Kurt Russell's new Santa Claus movie for Netflix. Mm-hmm. She does not look good. You could tell she's had some work done, and it's like yeah. you got you gotta you gotta age gracefully, people. Don't she? She's only what she haven't worked done for. She's only forty one. Yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> she's in her seventies, and she's trying to make herself look like she's younger, and she looks. 
You know, they say plastic surgery. She looks plasticky. No, oh, I don't yeah, want to be. You're talking about Goldie Hawn. Goldie Hawn. Oh, well, yeah. sorry. I thought you were talking about Kate Hudson. I was thinking Kate Hudson's in her forties. Why does she have plastic no, no, surgery? No, no, oh, Goldie Hawn. No, no, no. Goldie yeah, Goldie Hawn is is. You know, I mean, look, I I think she very much traded on on that kind of very elfin type look she has. Yeah, but she was uh, a and obviously funny she wants person. to hold on to it. I, yeah, I liked her. I mean, Private Benjamin was a great movie. I, I yeah. that was so funny, but. And I don't want to be this shallow guy pointing out someone's looks and going, ha ha. But, dude, come on. I don't care if you're a man or a woman. Don't do not do the surgery thing to keep yourself looking young. Yeah, it's Hollywood. That's yeah, what people do. You know. But she kind of retired from Hollywood for a long time. Yeah. She wasn't. All right. Anyways, next one. Um, this one is kind of a timeless movie. Oh, yeah. Um, and that's Castaway. Uh, fantastic movie. I couldn't believe when you put this on the list that it was that old. I, I didn't realize it was I didn't old. realize it was either because, hell, Tom Hanks hasn't aged. Yeah, you know, we're well, talking about Goldie yeah. Hawn, but Tom Hanks is, I mean, he has, but he hasn't. Yeah. Good living, I guess. Uh, yeah, I mean, the thing is, he, he I, I think he's been in so many movies that you forget how he has aged. You kind of look at him today and you think, oh, he always looked like that. Go back and look at him in Castaway. He looks much younger because he, he was. Does. But, um, you know, I mean, I think the amazing thing about Tom Hanks is is he had such a, such a busy and diverse career. And despite the fact that he's extremely distinctive, I mean, you can recognise his voice, yeah, a right away, and yet he can play any character and you buy it. It's an amazing talent to be able yeah. to do that. Um, but Castaway, of course, this is the one where I'm talking about the cultural references because everybody, even the young kids today, know what Wilson means. Yep. You know, they, they've heard that, they've seen the the ball with the hand on it, um, and that's where this came from. And, and they most of them probably don't know where it came from. And, and what I loved about this film as well is is it was it was almost a great big ad for FedEx, and yet oh, yeah, really FedEx was. is a huge failure in the movie because they lose all the parcels, and he lives off the parcels, and then he's delivering the parcels, and their plane crashes, and you just kind of think, oh, FedEx thought this would be great, and then, then you actually kind of think about it for a minute and think, it's not a great ad for FedEx. No, the, the plane goes down, yeah. they lose all the packages. <laughs> um, you know. Yeah, I mean, in real life, we know full well that FedEx would have fired the guy, never taken him back if he disappeared like that. Yeah, probably. <laughs> I, I I really like Castaway. It's, uh, I I don't know if I like it more or just differently than say a Forrest Gump, but every second of the entire film and and the vast majority of it is Tom Hanks acting against no one. Yeah, there is not another actor that he can play off of. You yeah. know, it's just him. Well, that's the, it. Well, <laughs> I think it's criminal that Wilson was overlooked at the Academy Awards. Well, I think it was criminal <laughs> that he didn't at least get a supporting actor now. <laughs> exactly. Um, for those who, who perhaps haven't seen the movie, um, th- that's one of the ways they solve that problem of having him acting against himself and to allow him to. Um, expand his story and how he's feeling about five years cast away on this island is that he puts a, a bloody handprint on a, a Wilson um, is it a ba- it's not a basketball what is it a soccer no, it's ball a soccer ball soccer ball yeah. yeah and that becomes his companion and he talks to it which allows us to give an get an insight into how he's feeling and what he's doing um, and and also have probably the world's best like losing a friend scene in in all cinema. <laughs> 
Which is next when the mo- ball when the ball exactly. falls off the raft. Yeah. Uh, next movie, you might be surprised that I put this on here, but I actually really uh, enjoyed this movie, and uh, it's uh, Coyote Ugly. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a. How do you describe this movie? Well, I think it was meant to be kind of like a like a, a romantic drama with some music in it, and I think it it transcended the material it had and became something else. And I think it's partly because they had that absolutely kick-ass song in it. But um, you know, it, it was when in the in two thousand, Coyote Ugly was everywhere. I mean, it really touched something culturally because. It did. Um, it, it really good looking out- bartenders who yeah. shake their booties and exactly. whatnot. Yeah, dance on dance on the bar. Tips. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and the main based- girl. Yeah, it's basically was she real- ever in anything else? Uh, Piper Parabo. I think she's been in a few minor things, but no, nothing major. She didn't kind of launch a career off the back of it. Um, oh, who 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 didn't fall in love with her watching her in that movie though? It's yeah, like, but ugh. but. But again, I mean, it wasn't because she was necessarily acting her socks off on the screen. It was because, you know, she kind of really fit the role of, yeah. of the, you know, the um, the kind of the, the lost musician trying to find herself and getting the guy and all of that. And then and then she she figures out at the end that actually she's not meant to be a performer. She's a much better writer than she's a performer. Um, and then she writes the song for uh, was it with Leanne Rhymes? I think the uh, the yeah, can't find like the moonlight was a song, and yeah. I think that that was part of it. Is that as I say that that song became such a monster hit, it kind yep. of dragged the movie along with it, really. Yeah, but it had good parts too. I mean, John Goodman's in it. Who I always loved John Goodman. I mean, he's, I say that like he's dead. He's not, but um, I, you know, it's one of those movies that I shouldn't like at all. Yeah. But I really did when it came out. Yeah. Next movie on the list. Um, I'm talking about cultural references. Uh, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon from Ang Lee. What a... This movie changed the way that Western filmmaking was done, especially when it came to fight scenes. Yeah. Um, and the thing is, you know, two movies... In two years, uh, The Matrix in 1999 and with the whole bullet time thing, and then Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon with the whole wire type of thing. So so what, what was unique about this movie, really, is that it, it kind of exploded the whole of Chinese filmmaking into the Western audience. Because this, really this is a, a, what's called a Chinese wuxia film, which is, um, you know, these epic Chinese stories told with this kind of balletic wire guided um kind of mystical action act martial arts scenes and fighting scenes and and i remember when we when we first went to see it you, you western audiences and I, I was i was very much this and so was leanne when we when we went to see it and the whole cinema we're in you spend the first 20 minutes going what what the hell's going on here how right. are they how are they what what because <laughs> because it, it doesn't it doesn't um, most normally when you see mystical stuff and super or you know, superpowers or something like that in a western movie it's telegraphed to you it's kind of thrust in your face this is the guy they're going to discover something new about themselves they're going to gain new abilities crouching tiger has none of that it no. basically is it starts as a you think it's going to be like a typical uh chinese war story samurai type story 
And then all of a sudden, people are kind of running over rooftops and running up walls and spinning in the air. And you're and you're looking at it, you think, is is this meant to be real, or right. or or is this you know? And and you spend twenty minutes literally trying to figure it out until eventually you go, ah, oh, it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. And once you get to ah, oh, it doesn't matter. Yeah. The film kind of explodes into into an amazing piece of filmmaking. But you have to get over that if you've never seen this before. And back in 2000, we had never seen anything like this before. The only people who had were people who'd watched uh, bootleg Chinese movies on video, um, you know, during the 90s. But it had never been in the mainstream cinema at all. No, and two big actors really became big in the U.S. because of this movie. Chow Young-Fat, mm-hmm. who had a... He was a minor name up until this point, but... and and. He did a few things afterwards, but he didn't become the big star mainstay in American television or movies. Uh, but Michelle Yao did. I mean, she's currently in Star Trek Discovery, oh, I'm getting wa- her own series because of it. Yeah, and and you know what? I mean, and first of all, she's she's somebody who's she's another one of these people who's fairly ageless. She has aged yeah. so gracefully, and she's still as kick-ass as she was back then. Is, and, wasn't she in the? Um, Crazy Rich Asians movie too as the mom. Uh, I believe she was, yeah, yeah. And, I love and, and, Michelle. I mean, Yow. I mean she great. can, yeah, she can do. She's not. She doesn't just do the badass stuff. She also does the, uh, you know, the. She can do comedy. She's got a very broad range, but um, yeah, I mean, in Discovery, she's still absolutely knocking it out of the park as she did right all the way back then. She's a phenomenal, phenomenal talent. She was in Tomorrow Never Dies. Yeah, well, Star Trek, Crazy well, Young Asian or Crazy Rich Asians, Star Trek Discovery. Um, she's been she in is. all sorts of stuff. Yeah, she was. I, I like Michelle Yao a lot. I think she's a, a good actor. But if you've never watched Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, you, you're really doing yourself a disservice. It's it's a yeah. It's not a great movie, but it's a great visual movie. Well, the the, the other thing about it is that it, it's so Chinese. I mean, it doesn't follow yeah. the the story, doesn't follow the kind of tropes you get in a Western movie. So you can end up Correct. being quite disappointed by the ending yes. because cause you expect it to resolve a certain way and it doesn't. And, um, and you, you come out of it going, huh, oh, wow, all that for that. And yep. and um, the uh, the reason is that's the way that Chinese movies are built. You know, that's what Chinese audiences want. But really, the the um, amazing thing about this is to 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 bring that to Western audiences, and it and it changed Western cinema. It's like you say, it really did. Last our next movie, <clears throat> I I this is another movie I really really enjoyed, and it's one of the rare ones that kind of autobiographical but they take some liberties um and i think it works because of julia roberts and that's aaron brockovich aaron brockovich is a real person uh in fact she just made the news this week talking about politics shocker um and but julia roberts in this movie she couldn't play any better well she went yeah she won loads of awards she won a uh a uh, Oscar for this, yes, um, well and, deserved, I think. But well, part of the reason because this was the first time she started to play against type. She'd done yep. a lot of the romantic comedies. Um, yep. Everyone knew she was good at those, uh, and this is when she started taking on more serious roles. Um, and yes, obviously, as the Academy Award denotes, she she knocked it out of the park in this one because she's so believable as a, a you know a single mom 
who who is used to really, you know, pushing hard back against the system, and then she comes across just purely by accident, um, this huge scandal, and she decides that she's not going to stand for it. She just decides it's not good enough to let this be brushed away, yep. and she, you know, she fights and she fights and she exposes this huge scandal, um, and yeah, it's based on a true story. Obviously, this is told for the drama so it's pumped up a bit but nevertheless you know a huge uh, you know a huge you know, huge role things, for her and but <laughs> you don't get a movie this good without a really good cast of characters uh aaron eckhart i think is her boy the, the guy that wants it, it's not her husband but it's her boyfriend Mm. And he, you know, his supporting not just a supporting actor, but a supporting character in the movie, supporting her, watching the kids and stuff, so good. But as good as he is, I think to me, one of my favorite parts of the movie every single time he's on screen is Albert Finney. Yeah, he, he's so good in this movie as the lawyer that just doesn't know what to do with Aaron Brockovich. Yeah, he really doesn't, and and he, until he actually accepts her help. It's it's just a really it's a, such a good movie it really yeah. is and it's hard to believe that was twenty years ago yeah well unfortunately one of the, the one of the hardest things about this is despite what the real Aaron Brockovich did and obviously this kind of really publicised what she had done we're still getting the same crap going on today which is you know big companies polluting the environment and covering it up so they don't have to pay out money to people yep. um, and it's kind of sad really that twenty years on we're still dealing with that. You know, I mean, you know, but you know, you live in a you live in a state where where it's happened big time. You know, with Flint. Yep. So, uh, next movie is one that I did not see in movie theaters. I don't know if I saw Aaron Brockovich in movie theaters either. I think that was one that I probably rented the DVD or something. Uh, but this one I remember watching on HBO probably a year or two after it came out, and I remember the circumstances. I, I didn't feel good one day at work. Got home, couldn't sleep, ended up sitting in the living room and watched this movie on HBO. Mm-hmm. And I was blown away how good it was. I And, you know, it had one of my all-time favorite actors, but the movie itself is just fantastic. And it's called Finding Forrester. Um, and the great and late, unfortunately, now Sean Connery plays this recluse writer living in a pretty bad neighborhood and he, he basically tutors or mentors I should say uh, this young black kid who's a writer and it's man the the dynamic between those two is just so good yeah I've not I've not seen this one um, in your fact until you put it on the list I'd never heard of it so um. it, it is it is one of Sean Connery's better roles. You know, he is not an action star or anything like this. He's he's a recluse writer. Yeah. That his, huh. and I say recluse, I mean, like, locked himself into his house and doesn't have any contact with anybody. But he's a, I don't want to say real famous, but a famous enough. And it's a mentor-type role. And, you know, when he moved into this neighborhood, it, it isn't what it is now. Yeah. So... It's, it's really good. If you don't take anything out of this episode of uh, The Geek's Pub, for you and those who's listening, David, search out and find Finding Forrester. Okay, is, will do. It is that good. I'm not going to say anything more about it because you haven't watched it. Okay. 
Uh, but I said, you know, there was one on here that I haven't watched either, and we'll get to that one. <clears throat> Next one was one that I did see in the movie theaters. I liked it a lot back then. I still kind of dig it, but it doesn't hold up really well. Yeah. And that is Frequency. I, I've i always liked Dennis Quaid, though. I, yeah. I, he's, there's something I, about Dennis Quaid when he's on screen I really, really like. Yeah, I, I have, I've always liked it as well, though. Um, I seem to remember reading a few years ago that apparently he's not very nice in real life. He did, did he I die? Heard. No, he's still alive. I'm, I'm sure he died. Maybe I'm thinking Dennis he was Quaid. in a movie in where he died. No, you're thinking of <laughs> you're thinking of uh, his brother Randy Quaid. Ah, uh, right. Okay. Yeah, I, I believe he died, and he went off the deep end. He even left the United States because he was wanted for tax evasion or something. But he became like a, his brother, um, who we all loved in um, the Will Smith movie. What was it? Uh, uh, Independence Day. Yeah, yeah, as the yeah. crazy crop duster pilot. Um, but in real life, that's him. He is that character. He he went he went over the deep end. I mean, he he looked like a homeless bum for the last ten years or so. I mean, right. he looked that, that's probably how it's sad. Of. Yeah, yeah. Anyways, uh, frequency. Um, it's a father and son movie. Yeah. You know, and it and it takes place in somewhat modern times and. There's a radio, and he can talk to his father in the past. Yeah, his, his father his father dies in a in a firefighting accident, and um, he doesn't have a good memory of him because uh, he was only six when he died. And um, yeah, he's the one time when there's a really strong northern lights. Um, he's messing with a ham radio, and he starts talking to this guy. And he, you know, over the course of the film, they they realize that they're a father and son, and there's some sort of time shift going on so he can talk to his father in the past it's quite a, it's quite a clever idea um, it is and, and, and the ending a, is really good yeah it's a great movie it's really well played you wouldn't think that it would be what we just described as kind of an action movie but it turns into an action movie yeah kind of and his dad is in what 1969 yeah something, something like, like that. that and so he's in 1999 year before the movie actually comes out i liked it a lot i thought it was it's one of those movies that if you get the wrong actors, it's not going to work, or it turns into a Hallmark movie. Um, but it they got the right actors for it. Um, yeah. And I, I just, if that movie is on, I will watch it. Mm-hmm. They did it's, a TV, didn't they do a TV series? Yeah, they always try to do stuff like that. I never watched it. There's another one on here that they did that too. Yeah. Um, next one is probably the biggest, well, one of the biggest movies of the year. Probably... We're coming up on the three movies that are probably the biggest movies of the yeah, year. Yeah, but here's the thing about this one, um, is that I don't think it's as well regarded today as it was back then. Oh, I agree. I agree. Yeah. And that's Gladiator uh, yeah. from um, Ridley Scott. I don't think it... You can't say it doesn't hold up, because it does. I mean, it's Roman times. How can it not hold up? I think but, I think there's two things that have affected it over 20 years. Is First of all, it was mocked mercilessly. Because parts of it are very, they Over work the within the context of the film, but they're very, very pompous. Yeah, yeah, you know. And the whole famous thing, you know, I am Gladius Decius Maximus, father of a murdered son, wife, uh, husband of a murdered wife. You know, and all that that became so um, such a, a trope. Um, such a meme for taking the Mickey that it kind mm. of really undercut the chops of the movie. And then the second thing is that um, you know Russell Crowe himself has. 
Well, he's had a controversial career since then, and he's not universally well liked. Um, no, and and he's certainly considering how big this movie was. I would say, if you look at it nowadays, you would say his star has considerably dimmed because he, you know he won awards, he was in loads of other great movies, and then all of a sudden he just kind of, you know, his career. Yeah, there's just something kind of about after this movie. Yeah, there was something about him. He almost acted like he was that character yeah. in interviews and stuff afterwards, and it it just didn't work at all. It, it's like the success of this movie inflated his ego to the point yeah. where people didn't really want to see him again. But now that's come around. Um, you see him and stuff. Now he plays characters, and he's really good. I well, mean, he always was a really great actor. Oh, but no I, question I, about it. But he got yeah. he got the ego part out of it. Now, exactly. It yeah. Yeah. You know, um, he, he grew up. Let's put it that yeah. way. And Gladiator is a. You know, I mean. It, I think at the time a lot of people thought it was kind of true, which nowadays we realise, of course, it wasn't. It was completely made up. But it is a cracking story. The idea of a, you know, a, a, a general who falls foul of the politics of Rome and ends up being um, being put into a, in, in, put in as a gladiator to get rid of him, and, and in fact he uses that as a platform to um, rise up uh, is is a great story, and it's incredibly well filmed. Um, Except I never liked the ending, and I think that's probably true for most people. And you're like, yeah. Well, they wanted to give him an epic ending, and and that's kind of what it was, really. Um, You know, uh, the other thing that was interesting about this one, this was Oliver Reed's final movie, and he died halfway through production. Uh, And if you know that and you go start looking for it, you can see the joins where they use very early CGI to kind of um, finish his scenes. Yeah, put him back in it, which which makes it interesting from a cinematography point of view as well. It when it came out though, it was it was everywhere. Oh, I mean, I saw it. I think I saw it two or three times. I remember I was in Brazil at the time when it first came out. And we went. I saw it with the people I was working with in Brazil. Um, I saw it there with subtitles, English subtitles. So then when I came back to the UK, I, I went with Leanne and we, we saw it again. Obviously natively rather than dubbed into portuguese so yeah or, or was it or was it <laughs> excuse me no, i tell a lie it was english when i saw it in brazil but they had portuguese subtitles that's right that would work better <laughs> i learned some portuguese that day you know i can actually well, say i am not? maximus decius gladius in portuguese but i won't no <laughs> we'll, we'll probably get sued for copyright infringement or something <laughs> Next movie is a bad movie. <laughs> yeah. And it's really highly regarded in certain circles. In those certain circles, there's car culture. It's the only reason that anybody likes this movie. Was this the beginning of um, Nicolas Cage's mad period, which he's yes. still in? Yeah, he kind of, yeah. this is where it's kind of started. So this yeah. is Gone in 60 Seconds, Nicolas Cage, Angeline Jolie. Angelina Jolie. Um, it's a bad movie. Even yeah. Robert Duvall can't save this movie, and I love Robert Duvall. Um, he's he's a car thief, right? Yep. And he steals cars. I don't even remember the movie, because it doesn't matter. the The only thing that matters is the car chase scenes in this movie, using a nineteen sixty seven Ford Shelby GT five hundred, which he called Eleanor. Now. The company who made it, made that car, actually trademarked it 
and copyrighted it. So there was a YouTube channel mm-hmm. that rebuilds cars, and they built an Eleanor, and they got sued, and they had to take every single episode off. They couldn't refer to a 67 Shelby Mustang um, as a Eleanor. It was copyrighted. It's horse shit. Well, yeah, there's a lot of fuck, problems with fuck copyright those people. law. Oh, fuck um, them. Uh, there's, t- there's a couple of things about this movie for me. Um, first of all, it was a remake, so yes. um, and it's you know as as is often the case, the remake does not do justice to the original. Um, the original was kind of a classic. Uh, the, it, it, this was the beginning. Well, first of all, we would not have the Fast and the Furious had this movie never been made. That's I true. Mean, this is this is basically this is the genesis of the Fast and Furious because the Fast and Furious was like a knockoff remake of Gone in sixty seconds, it only with a different plot. It has respect. this very contrived plot where they have this car thief and he has to steal a massive amount of cars in fifty cars. I remember that. Yeah, in uh, well, I think in the in the second movie was it within twenty four hours? I think the original movie it was a no. few days. But anyway, yeah. he has no, to seventy two hours. Seventy two hours, is it right? Okay, yeah, and he has to steal the, all these cars, synopsis. and of course every. You know, it results in all these chases, and it it, it, it was the first time it was an excuse to put a load of um, high-end, high-performance cars on the screen, kind of like in a car porn type thing, really, and have them do crazy stuff. Um, and Nicolas Cage, yeah, he bent into that and started doing his crazy overacting routine that yeah. he's been dining out on ever since, you know? He, 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 yeah. <laughs> One of my favourite movies of all time. And I'm not exaggerating at all. Um, I own it. I bought it on iTunes. Um, I don't know what it is about this movie. It's, it's something to do with the actors and the story and the music. Uh, but it's high fidelity. Mm-hmm. I love this movie. In fact, they did, you were talking about earlier, when they make TV shows off of movies. Yeah. Uh, Hulu commissioned a series called High Fidelity, and they basically took this movie and made it into, I'm going to say, eight episodes, uh, but they recast all the characters. It's not a guy anymore. It's a black girl, who does a fabulous job, by the way. The series is really, really good. I did not want to like it. Yeah. This is one of my favorite movies of all time. No one could play that character but John Cusack. I was wrong. She's really fantastic in it. The movie really is about music and his past relationships and and getting on with a girl that he's with now because she is the one he's supposed to be with. Yeah. Um, he runs a record store, and I actually saw that record store in person. It's in Chicago. It's not New York. Um <clears throat> A friend of mine lived real close to it, and we went and checked it out, and it was completely abandoned. And this was 15, uh, 10 years after the movie. Yeah. I thought, this is this was such a good movie. I would love to buy this record store and recreate it because I think that, you know, it would, I wanted to, I wanted to shop in that record store, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and I actually considered it because I was at Max Specialist at the time, maybe even buying the property mm-hmm. and turning it into one of our stores. Of course, that didn't happen. But I, so I, I've seen this music store and, and it was awesome. But I loved this movie. I, you know, John Cusack, this is where Jack Black kind of became Jack Black. Yeah. And, know, and John Cusack is there. definitely one of the most, you know, underrated actors working in Hollywood today. He's never had the success I think he deserves. Because oh, I he's, don't know. He's, you know, he's been in some pretty, 
he and he's the first to say he'll do movies that he doesn't really believe in so he can afford to do the movies he really wants to do yeah that so so maybe he's had the career he wants but uh, i always thought he deserved to be a much bigger star leading more films than than perhaps he did but yeah, yeah i think he's a he's a well i don't know but I, being john malkovich i mean he was awesome in that movie well he was yeah but um you know another another i said before we started that to Tim that we should have done 1999 because it was a much better year for movies than 2000 was, but he has a specific reason not to do that. But uh, yeah. being John Malkovich, of course, was one of the greatest movies in 1999. Yep. But so. I really did. So did you like High Fidelity? Or is it uh, too yeah, of an yeah, it didn't movie? really. I I've watched it. I thought it was great. I loved, as I said, I loved John Cusack. But it, I I wouldn't say it appealed to me in the way it appears to have appealed to you. Well, uh, and I think that know. is because growing up in the 80s, that music store was music stores yeah i mean it, it you know yes we had the mall and we had that music store but we made fun of those music stores you know true music lovers like i was back in the 80s we hated the the mall music stores they were the sam goody type things yeah Ugh, they were just stale and and high school kids worked at them and couldn't could not have cared less so I, I yeah actively that, avoided them that's probably I was a music the, snob that's probably the difference because here in the uk um, in the in the eighties, particularly, um, most music stores here were independent music stores. That we had very very much fewer of the big chains, and we right. didn't have malls. So um, that maybe that's one of the reasons why it didn't strike as many chords. Funnily enough, it's actually based well, on a British book, well, yeah, which is, know, is about the British that. music scene. So yeah, uh, but the thing yeah. is that the music store that they show in there is the type of music stores that I did frequent. Yeah. The Rock Cafe and Crazy Larry's and the ones that smelled vaguely of pot. Yeah. Um, you know, I had a head shop in the back. Mm. You know, if you saw an album or uh, something that you want, you were kind of curious, they'd actually play it right yeah. there. That's right, and yeah. The guys working behind the counter knew music. Yeah. The way, and, and you would the way someone in, comes I mean, in and so can talk to me about a Toyota, these guys knew music. You oh, would, if you like this, you should listen to that. You would tend to have a store that was your favourite, and you got to know the people there. And then you would go through the music magazines and stuff that was coming up that you would want or some, something you'd heard of but didn't want to own. You would go in there and they, they would order it for you, and it would take a few weeks to come in, and then you'd go in and pick it up, and it was all a big deal. Um, and, uh, yeah, none of that happens anymore. So this next movie is the one I haven't seen. Okay. I started watching it a couple times, and I just never finished it because I just kind of grew bored with it, to be honest. And that's Memento. Yeah, I, I, I think I'm in the same position. I don't think I've seen this. I know all about it, but I don't remember actually sitting down. Isn't and watching this the it. one based on the candy? No, that's Memento. So it's a different. <laughs> but I do guy, know that the whole thing is it it, it, it goes backwards. Yeah. He's he's got he he's got um, the guy in it has got memory loss, and he's covered in. Um, is is this the one where he's covered in tattoos? No, I don't. Uh, I, I think I don't remember. It, I I know this was a big movie, and I know a lot of people really seem to like it, even though it didn't really perform all that good at the box office. It's just it's one of those that it's just like eh, just I don't know. Yeah. There's something about it. No, he that's that's right. He has. He basically to because he can't remember anything, and also as well he can't remember anything for more than fifteen minutes. I mean, he's in a pretty bad way, and yet he still has to try and solve a murder, and he yeah. uses 
tattoos and and pictures and things like that to kind of remind himself of where he's up to with the murder solving. The the interesting about this one is this is one of the early movies of a a director who's a bit more well known now called Christopher Nolan. Yeah, I mean this is the movie that a lot of, that he attributes to getting stuff like the Batman movies later in his yeah, career. Yeah, exactly. And it and it was a it was it became an undercurrent hit because it, it was a tip. It, I mean, nowadays you say, oh, well, this is a, a typical Chris Nolan movie in that it's a very off the wall concept that's hard to execute. Yes. And he pulls it off, which of course is, is Christopher Nolan's hallmark now. Um, and uh, the, I mean, I remember that for the, the particular thing for this, it was the star guy Pierce, the, the thing, the biggest thing he'd been in, and the thing he was most well known for in the UK before uh, he did this movie was um, a, an, an Australian soap opera called Neighbours. Yeah. Right. And Neighbours was on every day in Britain in the afternoon in the eighties, and it became like um, certainly in the student crowd, but everybody pretty much, you know, Kylie Kylie Minogue came from there, you know, the pop star. Yeah. Um, and it and it was it was one of those things there. Everybody kind of watched it, you know, and everybody knew about it, and everybody knew from the eighties all the actors who were in it, and he was one of the actors. And we're going like, wow, that guy from Neighbours is now in a big movie. Yeah. Wow, <laughs> you it's know. Always, and and he's, nowadays he's, it's the he's, opposite, but yeah, yeah, he's had some some pretty big roles since then. You know, I mean, he's a he's a, a major. He's a he's definitely a movie star. You yep. know. He was the bad guy in the Iron Man movie, in Iron Man 3. He was, and it you was know. a bad movie. It was bad. <laughs> yeah, he was overacting a bit there, but uh, he, by all ne- accounts, he was very good in Memento, so there you go. Next movie, uh, I don't know if you've seen this one. Nope. Uh, it's a Coen Brothers movie, and it's good and bad. Can I... Uh, old yeah, Brother, can I, Where Art Thou? Can I um, give away a guilty secret here? Sure. I'm not a big fan of the Coen Brothers. They're hit or miss with me. I, some people swear by them that the, the, you know, they're all that, and I think yeah, some of their stuff is, some of them isn't. Um, but even Fargo, a, even Fargo, their breakout hit, I didn't really like it very much. So um, there you go. I liked Fargo on my second viewing more than I did the first. Yeah. And now the TV show based on it yeah. also hit and miss, but like the first season was amazing oh yeah i, I really and, and here's the thing i really enjoyed the first season of the tv yeah. show but maybe it was an age thing just i remember back when fargo came out i just i watched it and i thought what's the point of all this? <laughs> you know, it was all very well, old anyway and that means i haven't seen oh brother where art thou because i've never been that big a fan of the coens i watched it once i remember laughing at a few parts but for me what really stuck out was george clooney that He's a dumbass in this movie, and he's stupid. And I, it was completely against type. He was, you know, he's the ocean. He's Danny Ocean, you know. Yeah. He played hell. He was Batman at one point. It's a really bad Batman movie. Um, you know, I, he was kind of a serious type of actor, and I never ever would have thought him in a kind of a goofy comedy movie. And he completely pulls it off. I completely buy it. Um, but it's got so many characters that are just fantastic, you know. John Turturro is is amazing in it. John Goodman again, fabulous. Yeah. Um, it's one of those movies that I I don't think everybody would get, but I enjoyed watching it, and I think you enjoyed the next one even more. Uh, it's an animated movie, the only animated movie uh, on the list, which. I don't know if it was based on any 
prior anything. But no, I don't. I, I don't 80s. think so. I think it was an original story. I, I was expecting there to be more of these when I watched it. I thought, okay, they kind of established this universe. We're going to probably get some more movies based on this, and we never did. Uh, and that's probably because it lost a lot of money. Uh, you know, the, I know the budget was like ninety million dollars, according to Wikipedia. It was seventy-five to ninety million dollars budget, and box office was thirty-six point eight. So, and yeah, I know well, it didn't make it. It wasn't up just. For it, it wasn't just that. I mean, I don't. Obviously, that really wouldn't have helped. But um, Fox Animation Studios was shut down ten days after this movie was released. So, yeah, well, um, uh, this this was basically uh, their last chance. And when the movie didn't succeed then that was it they were gone which is why we've never heard of it again again you know i liked it well i liked it too i i thought i thought as a premise it was okay um it was well executed it has some great voice acting in it um it was a yeah it was a real spectacle um yeah i i could maybe maybe it just appealed i mean it's maybe it's sort of movie that they did it nowadays it would have big attraction I don't know. I I seem to remember that it wasn't well marketed. No, it wasn't. I do which, remember that because yeah. I never saw it for years. I I I think I saw this for the first time maybe ten years ago. So it was ten yeah. years after it came out. I I, re, I do remember at the time being aware of it and um, it not being well marketed and definitely not being well reviewed. Yeah. Um, but I, I think I I seem to remember I actually went to see it in the cinema, but I don't don't recall there's too many too many breakfast too many brain cells gone between then and now um but i'm pretty uh, sure i saw it in the theater next movie is i think both the beginning in a in almost kind of a one-hit wonder because i think it's everything after this was kind of trash yeah um and and the last really good movie that i can think of from bruce willis and that's unbreakable yeah um it was pro yeah so there's a character, and he's an everyday guy, and he can't be hurt. He, ah, he's, but he's yeah, but here's the clever. Here's, this is the clever thing about this movie is that it 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 pitches itself as like a you know what what would what would it be like if comic book characters were were real in real right. life? Yeah. Yes. Um, and and so you have a, a basically a, a hero who doesn't know he's a hero, who doesn't know he has a power, and then you have an antagonist. Who is who is his polar opposite? So that the the twist here is that if you have the, this guy, the guy who's the villain or or the or the antagonist, yeah, which you know again, everything Played he does by is the amazing. Amazing but Samuel L. Jackson. Samuel L. Jackson is phenomenal in this thing. He's he he's makes a, the movie. Yeah, he and he's a comic. But this guy is a comic book store owner. He knows comic books inside out, and he is the most fragile person because he has this disease that means his bones break all the time. And he theorizes that for every yin there's a yang, that if he exists, there must be somebody who's the opposite of him, who is unbreakable, who is uh, you know cannot be hurt. And and you know he based on this kind of comic book theory, he goes looking for him and he finds him in Bruce Willis, but Bruce yep. Willis is completely unaware of this ability. Um, well, he is, uh, but he isn't. Yeah, and uh, well, he's almost like repressed it, hasn't he? Yeah. Uh, and um, and then it, it kind of explores this, and and it puts. But the whole the point is, you, through the whole thing of the movie, you're never really sure whether it's real or not. This is the clever yeah. thing that Shyamalan pulls off: is you're not really sure whether actually these this guy is exploiting circumstance and 
uh, luck and that sort of thing to try and claim that everybody's um, killed on a train accident except him. Except he him. What's away with that scratch? But then you you kind of think, well, yeah, but that could just be luck rather yeah, than him. We've being... heard of that in in real life. Yeah, exactly. You know, there's a yeah. horrific accident, and here's this child who is completely yeah. not a scratch, and everybody else is dead. You're like, how the hell does that happen? Yeah, and so so it follows his development. Uh, Bruce Willis's character development as he stuck. The thing is, it and again, it, it all becomes well. Does does the reality of it really matter if the person believes it to be true? Because right. he starts behaving as if it's true, and things well, happen. Well, mostly because of his son. Yeah, exactly. His son is really is his son. Is, his family is dysfunctional. His family is falling apart, and and this realization and this idea kind of re- gives him a kick up the backside, revitalizes him, improves his relationship with his son, and ultimately with his wife. Um, and then, and and that point, you start thinking, well, does it really matter if it's real or not? And you, it's not till the end you really get a definitive answer of whether it might be real or not. Um, yep. And and yeah, it's it's a, and of course, being an M Night Shyamalan movie, there's a huge twist at the end, which uh, you know is also. It, I mean, it's one of those things that nowadays we probably see it coming, but back then you didn't necessarily right. see it coming. Um, and it is just a. It's almost a perfect comic book movie without having, you know, the kind of the Marvel approach of villains you know heroes and villains with with you know powers and that sort of thing the powers are all very understated um and it and it is very very interesting it has some it does have some phenomenal scenes in it that scene where um where samuel jackson's character falls down the stairs because he's trying to chase after the bad guy the other the notional bad guy yeah is so well shot and it it really brings out how awful this condition he has is you know well remember the the other part of the Bruce Willis character, David Dunn, right? Is that yeah. it? Yeah. Was that he can sense, he has a sense yeah. that someone's bad and that's how, that's what leads him to, you know, a lot of the stuff. But again, you, you know, you kind of think, well, yeah, yeah, that might be that, but it could be, the, the movie kind of posits that it's not, it doesn't really ever directly say to you that he has the superpower. And you could argue, you know, um, that. Well, it does, it does with the, the third movie. Yeah, well, I've not but, seen I've not problem. seen the third one. Um, well, you know, the, sec- the second one that M. Shyamala did in what 2017, yeah, um, was called Split, and you didn't realize that this is a direct. Sequel. It's the same universe as yeah. Unbreakable until David Dunn has a cameo role, and you're like, oh, oh my god, yeah. But Split wasn't that great of a movie, and then that leads to Glass, which is the third one, which is, and. By then, you're just like, you know what? You really should have done these all back to back, back in you know, yeah. 2000, 2002, and 2004. It would have had more impact. Now, I, I don't really care. Yeah. I mean, we just had Avengers. What are you doing? Yeah. Uh, and and really, you know, Unbreakable, I, it stands on its own. It's a perfect, oh, it is. It's a perfect movie as it is. As probably, it's probably my favorite Shyamalan movie. Um, oh, I agree. I like know, it I mean, better I mean, than... It's uh, better than The Sixth Sense. Oh, I agree, 100%. Yeah. But yeah. this was the top... He almost became a laughingstock after this movie, though, because everything that he did after this, I thought was awful. Just, it... Oh, it's an M. It's an M. Night Shyamalan movie. There's going to be a twist. Well, if that's what you're basing your career on? Yeah. Ugh, that's bad. I, I, th- I think I think the problem is that when we talked before about Russell, Russell Crowe... Yeah, um, he I fell think into it even he worse. He fell into the same thing, which is yeah. that, you know, he was believing his, his own, own hype. hype. Yeah. Yep. You know. It's uh, sad, but what wasn't sad was a movie that 
uh, came out in the summer, summer blockbuster. I didn't have a lot of high hopes for it. I, I remember seeing the trailer and I'm thinking, yeah, I don't know. And it blew me away. And I think it's probably the, well, it's almost the height of the movies in this universe. Uh, and that's X-Men. This mm-hmm. is where X-Men started. This is where Sony, um, not Sony. Is it Sony? I thought it was a Fox picture. No, Fox movie, yes, Fox. Uh, really started making big money off of Marvel properties. Um, I had some issues with it. I really did want to see them wearing the, the costumes in the mm. in the comic book. And, of course, they're not going to do that because this came out the year after uh, The Matrix, which made, you know, black leather the thing, I guess. <laughs> um, I don't think it wasn't. But, I don't think it was just that. I think the problem... They recognise, and one of the few things, I, I've, I'm, I'm, my attitude to this movie is a bit different to you. I was disappointed with this movie. I thought it Were could you have really? been, I could have thought it could have been so much better than it was. Um, but uh, I, well, that was one of the decisions I kind of agree with. I think they realised that to try and bring the comic book characters to the screen with those uniforms would look ridiculous. Well, they're very hard. They're very yes, hard to pull now, off in real no. life. You know. I, I disagree, but it doesn't matter because it is what it is. Yeah, I thought the beginning of this movie with with Magneto's young boy character yeah. in a concentration camp was it was amazing. And then Ian McKellar, McKellen and Patrick Stewart, the way they play off of each other, I completely bought that that's Magneto. Yeah, and that that's they, I thought they were a little bit too old, but okay, whatever. Yeah. Um, I, I completely bought it. I completely... I mean, the big thing for everybody was, really, Hugh Jackman is going to be Wolverine? Nobody thought he was going to be able to pull it off. Well, I don't... Totally well, I'd, I'd never heard off. of him. Um, and he... Yeah. Don't, I want to say I was disappointed in the movie. doesn't mean I hate it. He... The, I, I think... You, you've made a good point there. The casting in this movie was was mostly pretty good. Um, yeah, pretty I thought, good because uh, yeah, James I think, Martin as Cyclops didn't work. Well, no, I, I, did. I never. Haley Berry was awful as Storm. Yeah, just I, awful. I never liked him. I never liked. Yeah, never liked Storm. I didn't really like um, Famke Jansen as as Jean Grey either. No, um, I didn't either. Uh, I didn't think I, she worked in the role. I thought I thought uh, Anna Packin as Rogue was okay, but they didn't really I, no, do I, very I much with the her. character. Well, I liked the fact that it's she's the one that brings Wolverine into the X Men, yeah, and, and he's and she's the one that you know she she's the crux of the movie really yeah. because Magneto's plans are based around her ability. But but she but she Wolverine wasn't the Rogue going from to the comics that brings X Men in. Yeah, the problem. No, I had- she wasn't, and that's okay though, because uh, quite honestly, in the comics, she was kind of a who cares character. Yeah, I guess so. You know, I mean, she was a villain. She steals Miss Marvel's powers, almost kills her, and then it's it's a permanent thing. She has her powers forever now, where it's supposed to be because she held on to her too long or something. Um, and then she joins the X Men, and it could have been really good, but they just didn't really because yeah. uh, she never felt like she was a good person. And they could have really explored that, and I think it would have been better if she went back to being a bad guy. Hmm. That would have been mind blowing. Here's someone that was a bad guy, tries to do a good thing. You like her, but her character is the character, and she really is. She's a rogue. She goes back to being yeah. a bad guy. I, I I found the story in in X Men. Um, 
again, it was it was okay. I, I didn't, you know, it was it, one of Magneto's grand schemes. I, I just, it all seemed a bit bleh to me. Yeah, exactly. And and mm-hmm. the real problem I had with it was that for an X Men movie, it didn't have enough X Men action in it. Oh, I agree with you there. Yeah, and it was a Wolverine movie. That's what yeah. it was. That, and, um, and that was—I think that—that's really where I came down. And I was expecting yeah. much more action, you know, of them using their powers. And there's very, very little, little of that really. An I, awful I think lot of first exposition. First class was way better. Yeah. Um, and that's one of my favorite X Men movies. But the ultimate X Men movie isn't even really an X Men movie. It's Logan. I think yeah. that is. That is right up there with the Dark Knight. It's right up there with any of the Avengers stuff. I yeah. mean, Logan is is a tour de force of that character. Yeah. And, and also, so again, good. you know, a quite a mate. No, that was a, a great, they had great casting in that, but also, you know, really great um, delivery. Everybody kind of. Oh, had, yeah. You completely buy this. Patrick Stewart is a ticking time bomb. Yeah. I mean, he really is. Yeah. If he doesn't take his, his pills. He's kind of going to wreck people. Yeah, and and the, the 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 little girl they got to play um, mm. Weapon X. She was so good. She's in um, she's in the new BBC Dark Materials, his Dark Materials series. She's, I mean, she's she's a, a little bit older now, but she's still a phenomenal actress. Real intensity. Yep. You know, and all of that really did start with this first X Men movie, which yeah. does not hold up over time. It really doesn't, unfortunately. Um, but I did enjoy it when it came out. I thought finally someone's doing a superhero movie the way I kind of was hoping. Because after the Matrix, the Matrix set, and I know we mentioned the Matrix, and we're going to have a Matrix um, focused episode here eventually. I'm kind of waiting for the new movie to come out mm-hmm. uh, because I know that I think they, I think they finished filming at this point. Um, I kind of want to wait for that movie to come out and then we can do a whole Matrix episode. But it set a, such a high bar of what you can do with visuals and storytelling and and acting. And, you know, the, the X-Men didn't really have the benefit of watching that movie before they started filming because they were filming while the Matrix hit theaters. Yeah. So it was kind of an aesthetic choice of the late 90s, early 2000s of how they're going to present the X-Men and the type of storytelling. And it wasn't a strong story. It really wasn't. But the acting pulls it off. And obviously Hugh Jackman was the key to that. Exactly. And and you look at how the uh, franchise has developed. And basically every time the same people who did the first X-Men movie have another go at it, it's terrible. The best yep. mo- best X Men movie that comes since then have been written and directed by different people from this lot. So, yep. well, and plus the whole thing with the, one of the big problems for me it, when I go back and watch some of the early X Men movies is Brian Singer knowing. Well, of course, yeah, that, well, that, that's doing. part of the problem. Is you, you yeah. have this really horrible, horrible person you know is behind it, yeah, um, and directing the things it. He was accused of, and yeah. the way he treated actors. And actresses on set. Haley Berry has a pretty bad story about yeah. that. that. And and Simon know, Simon Kinneberg, Simon Kinneberg, who's the writer and producer on this, as is also has written has written all the bad X Men movies and been involved yes. with them. You know. Yep. So, Thank God Marvel owns this property now. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean that that that's really exciting to see what happens here, when they. But here's the thing: Do you bring back Hugh Jackman? He said he's not going to do Wolverine anymore. Isn't he? Isn't he too old now? 
I don't know. Well, not, I mean. The, well, the whole point about they, they Wolverine the is he's meant, he's meant to be an ageless character because he's immortal. Right. So. Um, he's too old for it. I agree. But can you ever see anybody else's Wolverine? We well, could have said that about about Batman, but and of course we can yeah. see a lot of people you, as Batman. You can you can you can always not see it until you see it. So, but don't I, get I me wrong; it's going to be a very very. I, I I pity the actor who decides to take that role on again, because obviously you now have I, you got to go an iconic you have to go portrayal with an in, in what eight movies. Yeah, you got to almost go with an unknown at this point, don't you? Yeah, oh, you do. Yeah, but even so, um, well, but do you? Do you just, if you're Marvel, do you pretend none of that ever happened? Or do you somehow incorporate that into the Marvel Universe and just bring those characters over? Which is what I think they're going to do with the Fantastic Four. Well, I think they're all a bit too old now. I mean, everybody who's in I those agree, movies but do you old. pretend those movies didn't happen? Yeah. but I think but, you have to. Yeah, I, I expect they probably will. But, yeah. um, you know, they probably... I would imagine Marvel would want to restel, retell the whole rise of mutant storyline and the, and the people's reaction to them in their own way rather than necessarily yep. take take and uh, I, think, I think you're going to see the beginning of that and probably dr strange yeah maybe maybe you know. so with that we're going to wrap up this episode of the geeks pub uh i enjoyed it very much i, I did too though you didn't mention big mama's house which disturbs me well no let's quickly go through your <laughs> i forgot you i said it so, at the beginning right. you had four yeah let me explain first of all Honorable the, the thing about big mama's house is so in 2000 i was i i was working on this stuff that i was doing in brazil um and uh leanne was looking after her mother who wasn't that well down in in near london and i remember one one day she came up to visit me in london while i was working there Right. And I had a meeting to go to. She said, right, I'm going to go to the movies and then we'll have dinner together. And she just walked into a movie theater and she selected the first thing she saw, which was Big Mama's house. (laughs) And she came out. She was so angry with herself. She said it was so terrible. And I just had to sit there and watch it. (laughs) Because <laughs> I hadn't yeah. anywhere else to go, and uh, yeah, so so, so your 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 top four number one. Well, these aren't top four because well, I've got my t- I've got my t- I've got my tongue in cheek with a couple of these. But Pitch yeah. Black was a movie that I saw in two thousand, made a great impression on me. So this yeah. is the movie that introduced the character. Um, uh, what's his name? The, the character the Vin Diesel. Vin Diesel plays yeah. his character uh, Riddick. Yeah. Yes. Riddick, yeah. This is where the character of Riddick came from. And the, and the idea of Pitch Black, it's kind of like a, it's like a horror movie. They crash on this planet um, and it's populated by these, uh, it, 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 when when it goes dark, then these, these horrible creatures come and start killing people and they have to try and get across the planet to another spaceship to get off it. It's a great, it's a, it's actually a pretty good movie, but this is when all of a sudden it's like Vin Diesel, who the hell is this guy? Oh, right. this guy knows what he's doing. He, yep. Riddick, the character, if you've ever seen any of the other movies, they're not quite as good, but the character itself is very interesting. He's a he's a, a, a anti-hero convict who has these weird eyes that allow him to see better in the dark than everyone else. That's that's kind of one of the the um you know the tricks of this movie. But he just acts his socks off on the screen. And you, you saw this and you thought, one day this guy's gonna be a huge star. And sure enough, you know, Fast and the Furious came along and now he is. Um and uh, but this this is where he came from, and it's actually a pretty good movie, and I remember enjoying it very much in the year two thousand. Another one is Final Destination, which it's not necessarily the world's greatest movie, but 
as a as an idea, I, I thought it was really really cool um, because it just becomes an excuse to you know do the typical horror movie thing of kill off your characters one by one. What Final Destination does is because the the conceit of the movie is that these people have cheated death and death wants its comeback. Is that every single death you see yeah they can really have fun with it they 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 make it it's almost funny in a in a, in some way you know and they all come very unexpectedly and it's kind of it's a bit of a ride uh, and i thought it was very refreshing uh, in the year 2000 so uh that's that and then one of my favorite movies from 2000 was chicken run which is the <laughs> Ardman animations movie about wasn't it claymation uh, yes claymation yeah that's how they do all of their most of their movies, all of their good movies anyway. Um, I like that it was a a caper or escape movie. Exactly, yeah. It was it was it was very heavily inspired by the Great Escape. Only it was yeah. with chickens. Um, who was and, the actors in that? Because I don't even remember, but so, I remember so, knowing who they were um, at the time. What's the name? Mel Gibson was the American yep. kind of hero character who turns out yes, to be a fraud. Right. But then yes. everyone else was all British character actors who you would never yep. have heard of. I remember Mel Gibson, though, yes. Yeah. Um, but you know what? I, I watched it not so long back, and it still really holds up. It's a very, very fun movie. Uh, and, it, yeah, it is a real kind of caper. Uh, it's very funny uh, and very good characters, uh, and, and it's pretty good. It's probably – I'd probably rate Chicken Run over some of their um, Wallace and Gromit movies. You know. Yep, I agree. So uh, – um, do you and think it, Battlefield Earth was the end of John Travolta's seriousness <laughs> as an actor? The reason I put Battlefield Earth in here is because it is widely accepted to be one of the worst movies of all time. And it is so bad. Yeah, and it, here's the here's the bad part is the the well the first couple books were actually pretty good. Yeah, well, this is the thing. What what I like about Battlefield Earth is it is it really punctured the hubris of uh, Scientology because this is yeah. Battlefield Earth is is based on the science fiction books that L. Ron Hubbard, the founder of Scientology, wrote, and basically what he was writing was what he based Scientology on. Yeah. It's this this kind of epic thing, and the movie is so bad because it's it's so incoherent, and um. You know, they threw a lot of money at it, and yet they still can't make anything good out of these terrible, terrible ideas. And it's it's all made the worse. The, the first fact that, two books in the series, though, was actually not too bad. Well, yeah, you wouldn't know it from watching this movie, though, would no, you? No, it was awful. <laughs> you know? Just and, awful. And, and the thing is, is that everybody who's putting money on the screen, including Travolta himself, who's a big Scientologist, yeah, is so... They're so serious about it, and they just don't see how funny it is. Well, and, and, the book, and how ridiculous the it that is. Travolta plays is a dumbass. Yeah, exactly. He's a dumbass, and they don't, I, for whatever reason, because it's their messiah, the the author. They have to take it super serious. And- I, well, I don't think it's. I think the the whole point about them uprising against the aliens was meant to be the point of Scientology. So right. they, I think they deliberately made him a dumbass, but they didn't realize that, that actually by doing that, they made the whole thing completely and utterly ridiculous. But no, I mean, in the book, though, the, that main character is kind of a dumbass. The bad guy. He is, yeah. He's stupid. He, well, you, he, you know, he falls for the dumbest shit. You can't argue with the Bible. That's the no, problem. That's the problem. <laughs> you know. So, yeah, if you want to see the worst movie of all time, then 2000 was the year. Battlefield Earth is, and, is your day. And yet it still had some of the, I don't know, would you put any of these movies we went over as some of the greatest movies of all time? I probably would. Some of my favorites, absolutely. 
You know, I, I would just simply go back to High Fidelity. It's one of my favorite movies uh, of I all think, time. I think some of these were extremely influential. Um, yes. I don't think any of these... Well, I, I said it, didn't I? I said that the year before had... Was had way some, better. I agree. Was way better. Castaway, though, I mean, that is... that is. I don't know if I'd say one of the greatest movies of all time, but I'd probably rank it in one of the top 200. Oh, yeah. He's, and don't get me wrong. I think you probably there's several movies on this list you find in a top 100, top 200 list. Me, you're going to thank me in the next week when you go out and search for and find Finding Forrester and watch it. <laughs> you almost have to. I mean, Sean Connery just died not too long ago. Yeah, okay. Um, um, last month. And, I, shall, uh, I shall do that. Yeah. It's, a, it's a super underrated Sean Connery movie. And he's one of the main characters, but the movie doesn't follow him. Yep. You'll, you'll see what I mean. So with that, once again, we'll wrap up this episode of uh, Geeks Pub, and we'll see you guys in two weeks. And next week we'll be here on Tech Fan. See you then, David. See you then.